Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. again. Welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood, the place where it really is okay to admit to growing up as a child in Britain during the 1970s, wearing orange and beige clothes and watching TV in black and white on a rented television set from Radio Rentals. Thanks for all your suggestions and comments. I am genuinely touched by how many of you enjoy listening and remembering your childhoods in simpler and perhaps more carefree times. Keep those comments coming via our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com, tweet at 70stvchildhood, or you can email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. Now this week has been a special one for me, as I've been celebrating my birthday. I won't tell you which one, but regular listeners should be able to work it out. I had a lovely weekend celebrating with my wife and a group of friends, unfortunately through the medium of Zoom rather than face-to-face, but it was great to see people. I suppose I'm in that in-between stage of life, where you no longer want to tell people how old you are, but you do feel comfortable with the number of years you've been on the planet. I suppose it won't be that long before I get to that later stage where people have no problem telling others or actually telling everyone and anyone how old they are, how they've still got all their own teeth and how police officers are getting younger. It was a bit different growing up in the 1970s. I'm sure it's still as important to children today, but the importance of growing older and being able to demonstrate that was a big thing. I wonder how many of you listening used to answer the question, how old are you, with a fraction? Well, actually, I am seven and three quarters, or at least I will be in a few weeks. Marking off those months between birthdays seemed to be so vital to small children. Right, I was six and a half, but now I think I must be six and two thirds. Hmm as if that actually conveyed some kind of special power. We were also the opposite of the older folk referred to earlier, as we saw losing teeth as a sign of maturity and growing up, rather than retaining them. How many of us have school photos hidden away in your house, where you're grinning into the camera, tie ski whiff, and smiling open mouth to reveal at least one front tooth missing? I know I have several. I also have one or two from the time when I decided, a few days before the school photographer visited, to cut my own hair, age nine, because it seemed like a good idea at the time. But that's another story altogether. Nowadays, it only seems like days between my birthdays. But when you're a child, the months open up like chasms between your special days. 
I suppose that the gap between being, say, six or seven, for example, represents about a seventh of your entire life experience. Whereas when you get into your 50s, it's a far smaller percentage, so it seems less remarkable, although always worth celebrating. As today, at least when the world isn't in lockdown, the focal point of a 1970s childhood birthday was the party, although I don't remember them being organised on the scale they seem to be now. I regularly hear of parents entertaining the whole class to a party at a soft play area, um, whatever that might be, followed by a Big Mac and fries. Well, I can safely say that wasn't my own experience. Indeed, the soft play area had not yet been invented when I was growing up, and McDonald's was limited to a few exotic branches in far-off London. The British alternative, the Wimpy Bar, didn't have quite the same allure. And as for the idea of getting some kind of children's entertainer to perform at a birthday party, well, that was inconceivable. No, the 1970s children's party followed a fairly standard pattern. At least it did in Warrington. Perhaps there were other regional variations, but at the time, the thought of that didn't cross my mind. You were typically allowed to choose a smallish number of friends for your party, say up to around 12, and often the party invites were exclusively to the same sex as the birthday boy or girl. I'm not sure why it was considered the right thing not to integrate the sexes, but that's the way it was. Girls gathered in their party dresses for each other's birthdays, and the boys went their own way too. Typically, the same groups attended each other's parties, so the opportunity for making new friends wasn't really an option. The party would generally be held soon after school finishing time, and everyone would turn up at the appointed hour, clutching a card and a present for the host. There would often be music, either a selection of hits from the BBC's Junior Choice programme, or records from the family record collection, which could be the latest hits belonging to an older sister or brother, which was generally a good thing, but they could also be the parents' records, and that was a bit more patchy because they could range from the Beatles to 1950s jazz. Nice. Once everyone had arrived and presents had been torn open by the birthday boy or girl, the games could begin. Now, I don't want to sound overly nostalgic here, but I used to really enjoy the simple party games we played. Musical chairs, which involved me and a crowd of my friends running around a few dining chairs in the middle of the sitting room, and my older sister turning down the volume at random. Pass the parcel, where an enormous parcel will be gradually reduced to a small package containing something like a pencil sharpener and a rubber, by a succession of small boys greedily tearing at the layers of newspaper and throwing them on the floor while it's getting covered in newsprint. And then there was my favourite, Murder in the Dark, which involved each party attendee drawing lots to discover who the murderer was. Then a parent turned off the lights, and one by one the participants were murdered, in inverted commas, by the murderer, whispering to them they were dead in the darkness. Sounds a bit gruesome now but it really was very innocent, harmless fun, 
which kept us amused for hours until it was time for tea, which invariably was ready salted crisps, salted peanuts, cheese and silver skin onions on a cocktail stick, honestly, a variety of sandwiches, often egg and cress, dairy lee, and oldie oat camp, if you were being a bit refined, and sausage rolls, all washed down with orangeade, and followed by, as you'd probably guess, jelly and ice cream. Once everybody had had enough, the birthday cake appeared, complete with the requisite number of candles, and often something special on the top. I remember my favourite display was a Manchester United-themed cake, which had a footballer scoring a goal into a goal net past a diving goalkeeper. Marvellous. We'd all sing happy birthday. The birthday boy or girl would close their eyes, make a wish, and blow out the candles, and then the cake would be cut up, and everyone would have a piece wrapped in a paper napkin to take home with them. And that was about it. Depending on the season or the weather, there might be a kickabout with a football outside. But otherwise, once the cake had been cut, a dozen weary girls or boys would then go home, some of them feeling slightly nauseous after eating too much jelly and ice cream. Happy times. The parties I used to go to were simple, but always fun. Everyone had a good time, although sometimes the excitement would get a bit too much and it wasn't unknown for the birthday girl or boy to have to spend a bit of time calming down at various points of the proceedings. I still enjoy birthday celebrations today, although they tend to be a bit more varied than they were as a child. Still, I wouldn't mind swapping champagne and canapes for orange jelly and ice cream every now and again. How about you? I always find it interesting to see who you share a birthday with. For me, when I was growing up, it was always Elizabeth Taylor who was top of the list. And then, after I got a bit older, Paddy Ashdown. Well, I haven't looked for a little while, so I've kept the newspaper from a couple of days ago to see what interesting people share my birthday, the 27th of February. So, let's have a look. Now, where are we? Um... Oh, there's an anniversary section ahead of the birthdays. Let's see if anything interesting happened on this day. Hmm. Um, In 1844, the Dominican Republic gained its independence. Well done to them and all my listeners in the Dominican Republic. Very good. Uh, Oh, in 1854, composer Robert Schumann attempted suicide by jumping off a bridge into the Rhine but he was rescued by some fishermen. He then spent the remaining two years of his life in an asylum. Well, that's not very cheery. Well, the Labour Party was formed in this day in 1900. A little bit of politics, as Ben Elton used to say. Oh, and more politics. In 1933, the Reichstag in Berlin was burned to the ground in a fire, following which the Nazis introduced emergency legislation limiting freedoms in Germany. Oh dear, that's a bit grim too. Now this is a bit better. In 1996, Japanese computer company Nintendo launched the Pokemon video game with special editions for the Game Boy, their revolutionary portable games console. And 
In 2010, product placement was first allowed on British TV, with the first item being plugged, a Nescafe coffee machine, featured on This Morning at a contracted cost of £100,000. Hmm. Sorry, I was meant to be looking at the birthdays. Let's uh, go down the page. Um, yeah, here we are. Peter Andre, singer and TV personality, is 48. Happy birthday, Peter. Darren Brown, hypnotist, illusionist, and magician extraordinaire, is 50. Let me just try something. Come a little bit closer to the speaker. Listen to me carefully. When you hear the theme music at the end of this podcast, you will break into spontaneous applause and tell all your friends to go to Apple Podcasts, download the show, and listen immediately. Three, two, one. You're back in the room. Well, it's worth a try, isn't it? Steve Harley of Cockney Rebel is 70. Timothy Spall is 64. And Chelsea Clinton is 41. Who'd have thought it? Anyway, um... So a varied bunch to share my birthday with. But I'd like to spend the rest of this podcast thinking about someone else who's just celebrated their 50th birthday. On the 25th of February, in fact. And if you'd have been watching BBC One on that day in 1971, you'd have heard this for the first time. Mr. Ben is 50, and I think that's something well worth celebrating. I remember watching the first episode, being right in the target demographic at the time, and I was absolutely bowled over by the whole thing. Mr. Ben is an everyman for my generation. Kind, polite, and always keen to do the right thing. He was an inspiration. There were only ever 13 episodes of Mr. Ben, which ran between 1971 and 1972, but they were then repeated twice a year for the next 21 years, thus becoming an integral memory of generations of children in the 70s, 80s and 90s. They were written by David McKee and narrated by the unforgettable voice of Ray Brooks, and each episode followed a similar pattern. Dictated by the first tale, the Red Knight. In this story, Mr. Ben, who, as many of you will remember, lives at number 52 Festive Road and dresses in a suit and a bowler hat, has been invited to a fancy dress party, so he goes into town to look for a costume. After searching without success, he stumbles upon a fancy dress shop, which mysteriously he hadn't noticed before. He goes in and... As if by magic, a shopkeeper appears. The shopkeeper, wearing a fez, helps him choose a costume, 
in this case, a suit of armour, and shows Mr. Ben into the fitting room, where he changes and then notices a door on the other side of the room, which he goes through and sets off on a great adventure. And that was it, really. Mr. Ben would complete his adventure, good would prevail, and then he'd be tempted back to the shopkeeper and find himself in the sitting room again. He would always head back to Festive Road and, as he reached into his pocket for his door key, find a souvenir of his adventures. Repeat that 13 times and you have the whole series. If you haven't seen the show, you must be wondering what all the fuss is about. Well, the show was wonderfully done in every respect. The animations had an innocent but effective charm. Ray Brooks provided a wonderful narration. And, as our guest Mark mentioned on our episode, All the Right Notes, there was the music. For some of us, the 70s represent a golden age of kids' programmes. Comforting, familiar and frequent, these shows were our friends, and the signature tunes are chart hits. Long before we were old enough for Sunday evening's Radio 1 Top 40 Countdown, our rock and pop hits were heard just before Mr. Ben, The Wombles and Rhubarb and Custard. Mr. Ben himself was announced to us by Scottish saxophonist and composer Duncan Lamont under his pseudonym Don Warren, who'd performed with Henry Mancini, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby and Count Basie. But to us kids, he was the unknown name behind the tune that signalled an unrivaled world of adventure. 52 Festive Road. Magic Doors, a shopkeeper and a fez. The rich, low bass clarinet and the xylophone calling us to settle down. After the adventures of the Red Knight, subsequent trips to the magic costume shop led to adventures as a big game hunter, a clown, a caveman, a wizard and a cowboy, as well as many others. My particular favourites were the episode where he's an astronaut. MB, I and many other small children at the time were absolutely obsessed by astronauts and the whole idea of space travel. And the zookeeper, where he helped the animals get bigger cages. I suppose he should have been helping them to get released back into the wild, but this was 1971, so first things first. Mr Ben's good heart and his willingness to help others, has made him very popular over the years, and he retains a special place in my memories. What I also treasure is the music. Duncan Lamont's score with its catchy signature tune, the tune which played when Mr Ben was in Festive Road, and, most memorably, the chase music, brought the whole show alive and is fondly remembered. In fact, I'd recommend looking online to catch the BBC's Moscow correspondent, Steve Rosenberg, who's recorded a musical tribute to Mr Ben, which is suitably entertaining. You can find him on Twitter at BBCSteveR, and I'll post a link on our blog after this episode has gone out. So, happy birthday, Mr Ben, and thank you to David McKee for bringing him alive. Unfortunately for him, Mr. Ben did not lead to untold riches for its creator, as he signed a contract for a flat rate one-off payment 
and no repeat fees. But in spite of that, he did go on to create many more children's TV favourites, including King Rollo and Spot. Do you have fond memories of Mr Ben? If so, which of his adventures is your favourite? You can tell us by visiting our blog, www.my70stvchildhood.com, tweet at 70stvchildhood, or email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. After all of that, I've now got a craving for jelly and ice cream, but I may have to settle for a glass of Malbec instead. That's all for now. Thank you for joining us, and I hope to see you again very soon for more from my 70s TV childhood.